Hello, world. Welcome to this week's edition of Golf Subpar. Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz coming off another exciting week on the PGA Tour. The 3M Open did not disappoint, Sleazy. No, did not disappoint at all. I got to be honest with you. I, and I think a lot of the rest of the world, I was pulling so hard for Tony Finau this week, man. I wanted him to win that thing after what happened at Muirfield and just the constant questions like, when you're going to win, you only have the one win. It's an opposite field event and all this stuff. I was just like, please let him get this thing, get the monkey off his back, get the media to stop asking him questions about it. So I was rooting really hard for Tony Finau, a little bit biased, but Michael Thompson, man. Dude, that was an impressive final round. I know you got some close-up experience with him. He's yeah. the guy you battled with at the finals of the USAM. Yeah, slapped him around a little Took bit. Took a little Nobody money deal. from him. Sorry I, about that. I don't know if... If I would trade him the USAM for two PJ Tour victories, but it sure is um, pretty impressive what he has done. And I'll tell you what, he gave his balls a squeeze coming down the stretch and hit some unbelievable Shit. shots. The bunker shot on 16 is my leading candidate for shot of the year so far, honestly. And even the approach shot on 17, the par three, and the tee shot off 18 after hitting it in the water the day before was 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 fantastic. And he played so well. And I mean, even in his interview afterwards, he's like, God, I just played such great golf all week. He and he did. really did. He did. It's like easy to watch him yesterday and be like, why has it been seven and a half years since this guy won a mm -hmm. golf tournament? Like it looked really, really good. I mean, he was nails tee to green and that shot on 16, dude. I mean, <laughs> I've had those shots. Yeah. You've had those shots, especially for a guy trying to win for the first time in seven years. Like it'd be so easy just to like, all right, if anything, I'm gonna catch this a little heavy, hit a little runner. It's gonna be there. I'll have 40 feet, two putts, still tied, still got 18, maybe make birdie there. But he, he tried to fly it all the way there and he did it to perfection. I mean, that was that was a, he hit the, the shot, one of the nastiest shots I've seen in a long time. He hit the time. shot you would hit on Tuesday in a practice. Yeah, time. you would do that. You'd open it up, swing hard. Like, oh, like, I'm going to oh, nip cool. this one. Yeah, but yeah. when it's all the chips are on the table, haven't won in forever, there's a hazard behind back there, too. You're like, uh, maybe just get First this off, on the green and get a four. Yeah, and he, I mean, he was outside the top 125 in FedEx Cup points and thinking, okay, as long as I finish pretty good here, I'm going to yeah. get myself in the playoffs and all that. But he w went out there, hit the shot. But you know what? He had to step up on 17 and hit another great shot. He had a six iron to about 15, 18 feet. Missed the putt, but still, that that tee shot into the wind over over water can be very scary, and, and he pulled it off. And then, like I said, hits it in the water on th off the tee Saturday on 18, goes back, stands up there, sucks it up, and just stripes one down the middle, ends up making birdie on the last to win by two. Yeah, it was impressive. And I know, like, it's cool to see, you know, John Rahm just recently won. He got to number one in the world. We like seeing Justin Thomas and Rory and all these big-name guys win, and it's really cool when they do win, but, like, Seeing like a journeyman like that who has you know pretty much been on the fringe of the PGA Tour for a number of years now, like keeping his card, just missing his card, to see what it means to guys like that, it's pretty cool. Like I don't get emotional too much in golf, but like watching that yesterday, you could just see what that meant to a guy like like him. Yeah, and it, was, it was it was special. It was a very emotional win. And speaking of emotional, I, I want to give a big shout out to Camilo Vajegas. Him and his wife just lost their 22 month old daughter. Um, had brain tumors, tumors in the spine. Just a tragic event recently happened. I want to know that we're all thinking about him here, and I know the whole golfing world's thinking about Camilo and his family, and um, just a tragic thing for them. Yeah, man. Uh, as a recent father, like, I can't imagine anything tougher in the world than what he's going through right now. And just, I mean, it's cliche to say thoughts and prayers, but, like, everything I got yep. for Camilo right now, that's I don't, that's the toughest thing anyone could go through, especially sure. a father. Yep, all the best, Camilo. But it's time to open up the mailbag. I know you fans out there have submitted some questions for us. And producer Mark, what do we got this week? All right, got one for each of you guys this week. Colt, you're up first. This is Rory Parker from Twitter. When did you feel that you were going to make it to the tour? And what was the most pivotal, pivotal development moment to get you to that level? Uh, probably yeah. like even my senior in college, I was, I was off and rolling pretty well and was pretty high in the college rankings, but still didn't know if I was good enough to play on the PGA tour. And I, uh, I Monday qualified for the Byron Nelson and went out there and I shot 64 on Friday, not only to make the cut, to, but to be inside the top 10. 
And um, just to be in contention on a weekend at a PJ Tour event, my first ever one was unbelievable and kind of gave me a ton of confidence going forward that summer, led me to win in the U.S. Amateur and knew I was going to go on and play professional golf. So I would definitely say that that Friday afternoon at the Byron Nelson totally changed my perspective on the game of golf. I thought you were going to say the Fort Worth Men's City Amateur. Oh, that was college, a big one. Which is also that was a, big one. A, a big one that gets slept on a little bit. All right, Sleaze, you're up. Fire away. Lee Rigby, also from Twitter. He has a bad memory, apparently. He wants you to work through the names of birdie runs after the turkey. He says he remembers a Pink yes. Panther was okay. one, but yes. he, he's forgotten the rest. Okay, here we go. Pretty simple. One in a row is one. Two is two. <laughs> Three is a turkey. Four, you go after that, a little more rare of an animal, the water buffalo. Five, you're starting to get into rarefied air right now. Then you got the Pink Panther. Six, you got the very rarely seen Sasquatch. And seven, I came up with something the other day. I don't think I've ever made seven birdies in a row, or I don't even know if I've ever seen seven in a row, although it happened this week at the Colorado mm -hmm. Open. Uh, I had some, I Googled like most endangered species, and there was like some like black-tailed ferret or something like that. And uh, there's only ferret. like 150 of them left in the world, so it was like the black-tailed ferret or something like that. If I ever get to seven, you can name it whatever the hell you want, because I, I don't know that I've ever done it. And I, if I haven't done it yet, I damn sure ain't doing it going forward. So after like three in a row, I start getting nervous. Yeah, I just be like, I'm making a shitload yeah. of birdies yeah. right now, boys. Let's circle just par to the house and get this thing under up. par. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, thanks for those questions. Keep them coming. Now it's time to get to this week's interview. Our first ever PGA Tour caddy, one of our favorite dudes on the planet, Mr. Joe Scovran, caddy for the great Ricky Fowler. Yeah, let's get into him right now. He's got a cool story coming out. Caddying wasn't even really on his mind. And then, whoops, one phone call one day can kind of change everything. That uh, was a very good phone call to, to receive. And it was, like we said, Ricky Fowler. But it's just cool to get to see, get the perspective from the other side. I mean, we've, we've interviewed a ton of players, but to get the guys that are out there in the, in the middle of the battle with them, you know, get to see what these guys are like behind the scenes and share some really cool stories. Yeah. And I don't like to ask, like have guests on and ask questions about other people all the time, but he's had such a unique experience with Ricky and we get a lot into Joe personally as well. But it, you know, the story inside the ropes with he and Ricky and the way they interact, it's some cool stuff, some pretty unique perspective that we haven't gotten before. For sure. Well, let's get right to it. Here's Joe Scovran on golf subpar. All right, it is our privilege to welcome on one of the most well-respected caddies on the PGA Tour. You know him as the caddy for Ricky Fowler. What you probably do not know him as is the former star quarterback for the, hold on, Temecula Linfield Christian Lions. Joe Scovern <laughs> is in the building. Welcome, Joe. Yes. What's up, boys? Did a little research. Stalls. How is it possible that I've known you for as long as I have and am just now finding out that you were a very good high school quarterback? Well, it was a pretty small school, and that was a long time ago, so no one wants to hear about my high school. And I want to hear all about it. He doesn't it, talk honestly. about all his past accomplishments nonstop like somebody else. Well, that's your problem. You got to let – and I didn't know about it. That's why you got to do it. T give me a little breakdown of the Joe Scovern tape if we're breaking it down 247 right now. What are they looking at you on tape? How are they analyzing um, you? I think I would be called a game manager. Um Ran a bit like Philip Rivers. wasn't real. So none. wasn't real fast. I, no running. I could move around a little bit here and there, but it didn't look great all the time. Accurate, not a real big arm. Um, pretty good at like breaking down a defense and kind of finding that way. But um, it was nothing that would impress you or jump off tape. I had no idea either that you actually coached some high school football while you were in college. I did. I did. Yeah, I, f I feel like we hang out all the time. And I don't know anything this, about you. I don't yeah. even. I feel like I'm just meeting this man. <laughs> Known him for a decade. I, I like feel like I should introduce myself. Yeah, I went back uh, after my first year was at UC Santa Barbara, and then I transferred to University of Laverne. And actually, the reason I transferred there, D three school, and I was going to play both. I missed football so much. 
that I was going to go back and play both. And then I had a good summer of golf and decided that that wasn't for me. I was just going to play golf. And then that fall, we didn't have fall golf in D3 at that time. So I went down and uh, my high school coach had gotten a bigger job. And so I would drive like 45 minutes and go a couple days a week and then go to game nights, um, sit up in the booth. And I was like the quarterback's coach and scout up there for the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. Was it Coach Joe or Coach Scovran? I think it was Coach Scovran, but I think most of the kids just called me Joe. Hey, Joe. I don't really remember hey, you're barely that. an idiot. You know? Let's throw – I, mean, I wasn't much older than them, you know. <laughs> I want to run so, four fades again. The disappointing part about that for me was that my coach – I was the first quarterback to ever throw for his – more than his, rainy, his running back ran for because we didn't throw very much. And then all of a sudden when I started coaching with him, I was begging him to go shotgun, five receivers, like let's do this. He started doing that, and they are chucking it everywhere. So I was a little jealous. Yeah. yeah, but you were putting some points on the board. You're like air raid style coach. Um, that's the, we were we were running a pretty wide like open Texas offense Tech. at that time. It wasn't yeah the air raid we that hadn't really hit high school yet, but it was something similar to that. Yeah, okay. basically Cliff Kingsbury stole his offense from Joe Scott and his look too, dude. <laughs> I and wasn't calling the look. plays. <laughs> I wasn't calling the plays. I was just coaching the quarterback and scouting up top. So okay. I love it. That's fair. Well, enough. let's talk a little bit about your golf game because you did go play college golf. You were an All American mm-hmm. at Laverne mm-hmm. D three school. You tried to play pro for a little bit. Yes. Uh, at what point did you know maybe it's time for me to hang it up? Yeah, I think I still had some hope in two thousand five. Uh, I went to Q school in 05 for the first time and I missed first stage by one. And I think going into that sixth season, I still kind of thought maybe I could figure something out. And then that sixth season, I played the U.S. Pro Tour and I got beat up pretty bad by Brendan Steele and Kevin Strillman and Tommy Ganey and all those guys. And I think I kind of started realizing it and I hung on for a little while in 07 and then just knew it was time. Yeah. And then you, you actually walk into the head coaching job at your alma mater, Laverne. I did. I started coaching there the 2008-2009 season. My coach left, and he asked me to take on the job, and so I did it. I inherited a really good team, and um, we finished, had a pretty nice yeah, year. Finished second little, at Nationals. Right? Yeah, we had a good nationals. shot at winning, and we had the National Player of the Year. Um, so it was – I think I had three All-Americans on that team, so wow. we were pretty good. Coach, it was easy when you got freaking yeah, exactly. three All-Americans yeah, exactly. on the squad. Yeah, yeah, I walked into a good situation. Yeah. Were you a – Firm, disciplined coach, or yeah. were you more of a rah-rah? I was – my whole coaching philosophy belief was, like, let's make practice harder than the events, and then let's go have as much fun competing as possible. And so, like, I literally did a crip walk in the fairway at Nationals when I saw one of my guys across the other way just trying to <laughs> loosen, loosen them up. So, you know, I was still pretty young and, like, got along with the guys pretty well. And so, like, we had a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, so my philosophy was a little different on that. Do you get that the, at SMU ever? You yeah. Coach Crip walking across the park. I was going to say, first time we've talked about Crip walking here, but yeah. yeah. My now, coach, Jay Lord did not Crip walk. I don't think old Wild Bill Monaco was doing much cripping around uh, <laughs> any events <laughs> we were at. Just trying to keep the guys loose, you know? That was my whole thing. How old like, were you when you so we, when you took over that job? You were how old? Um, let's see. That was 2000. I mean, you're damn, you're damn near the same age as the guy you're coaching. I was 27, I believe. Oh, okay. You got a little spread on it. So there. there was a little bit, but I did have one player that was like 24. So we wow. were pretty close in age. He must've been smart. So <laughs> he's <laughs> he, a doctor um, of some sort. From another country and like, um, just his timing of school and everything kind of started a little later. So really good player though. We'll get into what, how you got into the caddy game, but had things, had you not gotten a call from Ricky Fowler, would you, would, was that the profession you wanted to stay in? Coaching? Yeah, I think that's what golf I Golf or I football? Because you're both. Dude. No, I would have. I think it would have been golf. 
because I could coach at the collegiate level football. I wasn't qualified to coach at the collegiate level. It was more of a fun thing for me, um, you know, high school kind of a thing. But that was that's what I went to school for. I went movement, sports science, teaching, coaching. So that's what I always thought I would do. What would have been like your dream school to go coach at? I mean, obviously you're at your alma mater, but you're a division three school. You probably yeah. want to work your way up. I think at that time I would have said SDSU yeah. because living there and being from the San Diego area and the whole thing. And, um, but you know, if it was going now, now that I live here, you know, more of like an ASU type of job mm-hmm. would be fantastic, but anything D one in a good city that you want to live in, I think yeah. it's fantastic. Well, it's well, a good thing. None of that happened yes. because the phone rang one day mm-hmm. and, uh, who was on the other line and who was on the other end of that phone call? Yeah. So it was, uh, Ricky, Gave me a call and the story kind of goes, actually, a lot of people don't realize this, that I was working a couple weeks at a time for Brendan Steele. Stoltz knows that. Um, we might've talked mm-hmm. about it before. So I would just do it for fun because I was coaching um, and I was actually trying to run a clothing company at the same time too. So I had a lot of different things going on. And Ricky asked me to come to the Columbus event and I was scheduled to do Omaha and Columbus for Brendan. So I had to make the phone call to Brendan and say, Hey, do you have an issue with this? Is this cool? And Brendan was unbelievable about it. Uh, he said, no, you got to you know, go do it. Go work for him for a week. Because I said, hey, I don't know. I think this is a trial for possibly doing this full time. And it worked out pretty well that week and gone from there. Did you have any idea that that phone call was coming? Like, had you guys talked, you and Ricky talked about that in the past? Or any idea that he was considering you, like, this is the guy I want? There was one time that he mentioned me possibly caddying here when he got the exemption but he didn't end up going that direction. So no, I didn't really know it was coming. Um, I think his dad had mentioned it to me a little bit and some people in town, but I didn't really know if it was a, if it was a real kind of possibility. And, you know, there it was kind of, like I said, it was a trial. It was like, Hey, let's go see if it works. And uh, it went really well. And then he said, you want to come in the fall? I said, yeah, it was quick coaching and came out that way. Well, let's talk about that week in Columbus. So, you know, he was an all American. So the amateur, he was an amateur playing that week. Because the first team All Americans get a spot mm-hmm. in that what was then then the nationwide tour now the Corn mm-hmm. Ferry Tour event in, in Columbus, but I've heard you say that's where you knew he was real. You found out he was really special, and it's because of a shot he hit on number ten. Yes, that's out correct. of the trees. That's correct. Take us through that shot, and then I have something else to ask you. So my long term memory isn't fantastic, um, but from what I remember about the shot, he'd hit it in the right trees over there, and he had this. I was looking low like just chip this out get it down there somewhere by the green you know might be able to get it 40 or 50 yards from the green we can get it up and down we move on and he found this little spot up in the trees i mean it's a spot that most of us wouldn't even pick as a possibility to get it through there and i'm like looking at it kind of like well we can just chip it out down here you know and he's like no i can get it through there i'm good and he hit this shot that it went right through this little spot i mean this spot couldn't have been more than a couple feet by a couple feet and he hit this big high cut and got through there, knocked it on the green, and I was like, wow, this kid's different. Like, okay. Did, so now veteran caddy Joe that's been with him for, you know, 10 years, mm-hmm. do you let him hit that shot? I think the situation would dictate it. I think with him, when we're in those spots, my whole thing is that I try to present all the options and then leave it up to him because he can create and he can see things that I might not think are the percentage play, but – he knows how good he feels about it. So I'll present all the options. And if he's stuck on that option, then you got to let him go and just trust him. 
What if, so at the, you had a lot going on. You were running the clothing company at the time. What was it called? Beyond the Green? Beyond right? the Links. Beyond the Links. Yeah. Yes, I remember that uh, from when our time in Arkansas together. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you had the coaching going on. Where you, you weren't like actively pursuing caddying at any point. During no. the, like You were doing the, the side jobs with steel here and there, but mm-hmm. you weren't like, yo, what I want to do is be a caddy. It just happened that Ricky Fowler called you and like, this kid's special. Yeah, I had no plans to be a full-time caddy. Brendan and I were really good friends. It was more just... He didn't have a full-time guy, so he'd bring a couple of his buddies out, and we'd just take different weeks. Um, I'd done it a little bit for Charlotte Mayorkas, too, just as I did like eight events for her over a two-year period on the LPGA, just kind of helping her out in between caddies. But it was just a fun thing for me. It was never considered it being a career. Was kind of your first thought when you saw the sleazy man Drew Stoltz play golf? Did it remind you at all of Ricky? Or mm-hmm. Was it that kind of the same <laughs> That's a good same question. Moment? I get that a lot. Yeah, that talent level of Drew Stoltz, you know, it just kind Weren't of Weren't you on the practice round together? We played a practice round together. Yeah, with was, Andres Gonzalez. Was, <laughs> it was Steele, myself, and Andres Gonzalez. And this is a true story. This is my first nation. I just graduated college. It was my first nationwide event at the time. I go out and play. My One of my closest friends, Andres Gonzalez, you guys are friends. We come out. Brendan Steele had never met him. I'm nervous. Dude. I don't know what these guys look like. After like Tuesday, four or five holes, after like four or five holes of the practice round, I remember looking at like whoever's counting for my time. I was like, the steel guy's not that good. I was like, dude, this guy, if this guy can do it, like I'm going to murder these guys. They're terrible. He had these hooks going and all this. I was like, he's not that good. Now fast forward. He's won a million times on tours, made $8 billion. I was like, oh, okay. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty Once good again, eye for talent. Yeah. Eye for talent. You got yeah. it. I had it. I actually had, if you don't mind me telling the story, I had oh. a similar story with Andres the first time I ever met him. Yeah. Playing a mini tour event in 2006 at Oak Valley where they play Q School a lot. Uh, second stage of Q School. I don't know if they still play there, but they used to. And Steele and I were going to the tee and this guy just comes and joins up with us. I've never met him. I've never heard of him. Steele knew who he was. Didn't tell me. And told me later that he was an All-American at UNLV and all these things. He literally topped it off the first tee. <laughs> he does that. And he hit it out of bounds at least once, maybe twice during the practice round. And I was baffled. Like through nine holes, I'm like, this guy's playing in the event. And I proceeded to go out and shoot like 147 or 148 and miss the cut. And Andres shot 16 or 17 under and finished second, I think. Maybe lost in a playoff. And I was like, mm. Okay. Yes, yeah, he can play. But I mean, if you play, with, <laughs> if you play with him enough—not that this is about Andres—but if yeah. you play with him, you see some of that stuff. Oh, like mm-hmm. I've played so many practice rounds with him, where he'll tee a driver up, hit it fifty yards right, tee up the next one, it's fifty yards left. I'm like, oh, oh, it's gonna be a week, <laughs> and then he goes out and yeah. goes crazy. Yeah, he's yeah. like the all Billy Hoyle team. Like if you just walk down the range, like pick a guy you want to play, like that's the guy. He stinks. I'll play him, and then he's gonna go shoot sixty-four. Yeah, and he, that was when he, he was, was like, I get that. It was around that time when he was like dominating the Harmon tour and all these different games, he was shooting 15 to 20. I just had never heard of him. And then that was like my start off with him. And it was pretty funny. And then Do you ever get out there with some guys like that are obviously rookies on tour or whatever, and you get paired with them and you're like, how the hell did this guy get out here? Not, not so much anymore. I mean, I think I've, it's kind of like the PC stock answer, but it's the truth. Like I've gotten to the point that I just respect everybody that's out there. Cause I know how hard it is and I know how hard golf is. And I think, Anybody can look on a certain day, they can look, can look pretty bad, you know? And so you know that they've got to have good stuff if they're out there. And so it just kind of depends on what day you get a golfer, as you know, like what they've got. I mean, I remember the first time we played with Phil, Phil was asking me questions and he wasn't playing real good at Torrey Pines that day. And he asked me, he's like, he's like, so do you think you could probably beat me today? You probably can't, right? And I'm like, no, there's no chance. Like, don't worry about that. There's no chance of that. But, you know, those everybody has their days like that, you know? But- how cool is it though? You're, I mean, you're caddying for one of the 
best players in the world, obviously, but also one of the most well-known players in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got to be so cool every week, you know, with massive galleries following you everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, the kid gets pulled from every which direction asking for autographs and all this. I mean, it's got to be really exciting going to work every day. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been so fortunate to work for the guy I have and get the experiences I have between Ryder Cups and majors and, you know, the big events and the schedule we've gotten to play and how popular he is and how many people I've been exposed to because of that and how many, you know, great memories I have from all of that aside from just the golf and competitive standpoint and of how good he's been for so long. So, um, yeah, it's my experience hasn't been the same as every other caddy out there. You know, it's I've been very fortunate when you grab his bag and he calls you out for this trial and then it ends up being a full time gig. Fast forward like two years from that. You guys are playing in Ryder Cups. You're playing in President's Cup. Like it happened fast. Mm -hmm. At any point, were you ever surprised? Like, oh, my God, like this thing is rocketed. Even like you knew Ricky was special, but you're like, holy shit, this has been two years and now we're in the Ryder Cup. Yeah, I think honestly, when we first went out there in 2009 in the fall, and he contended, played pretty well. I think he finished fifth or sixth in Vegas, his first start, and then almost won here. I legitimately thought, like, we're going to win three times a year. Like, this guy's, <laughs> you know, like, this is what's going to go on. And then you start getting to the bigger events with, with the big dogs showing up and the golf courses and everything else, and you realize how hard it is to win out there no matter how good somebody is. So I think that was kind of like almost the opposite of what you're saying with that. But then – you fast forward and we're in that Ryder Cup all of a sudden at Celtic Manor. And it was like, whoa, here we go. I'd never met Tiger before that week. You know, never been a part of anything like that. And it was like, we're already here. We're already doing this stuff. And, um, you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll never forget that Ryder Cup in Wales. I mean, Ricky was obviously very young. And we had just played on the Walker Cup team a couple of years before that together. And I remember it was I was still living in Dallas. And it was like four in the morning I woke up. To, to watch this. Yeah. And I remember him birdieing those last four holes. And I was like yelling at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> in my room. And I've heard that's your favorite memory caddying so far on the PGA tour. It's, it's definitely up, up there. there. You know, it's definitely one of those top few, like everybody talks about the putt he made on 18 and everything, but the one he made on 17, I don't remember exactly how far it is at this point, but I felt like it was 20, 25 feet. It wasn't really one of those ones that you're expecting to make. And when that, putt went in that's probably the most excited i've ever been on the golf course when he's done something and then on the last hole it was kind of like he's gonna make this for sure you know you just kind of had that feeling and he had that he has that clutch gene in him and when he gets going like that and rolls the putter it's pretty so special. that was that was the most excited you've been what do you think the most nervous you've been caddying has been i mean nervous is kind of different because i'm not hitting golf shots um so you know maybe excited or I guess maybe there's an element of nerves, but because I'm not pulling the trigger, it's not really like that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any moment where I've been like, man. I mean, I guess probably in the playoff at TPC when you had to hit that tee shot again, that's a pretty nerve wracking tee shot when your guy's over it, you know, you're hoping that ball, that ball gets in play and gets somewhere in that fairway because there's not much margin for error there. So I, I'd say that'd probably be up there. Talking about that first Ryder Cup where Ricky did what he did and it was so special and you could kind of just tell like this kid's got like it, whatever you want to mm -hmm. call it, right? But you guys were first timers there. I don't want to say you're happy to be there, but it's a you're brand new and you got out there really, really quick. How have you seen Ricky's role in like the Ryder Cup locker room change from from that point when he's the new guy on, mm -hmm. on the block to, to where he is now where he's been there a bunch of times and he's almost like the mentor? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how much younger golf's gotten. So... You know, he was the young kid on the block and 
you know, fun kid and, you know, he's 21 years old or whatever he was. And now, you know, the last few, when you get in your late twenties, early thirties, you kind of become a vet out there. And I think he's just really taken on that role of the, he's the guy that can play with anybody, get along with anybody. You know, he's still kind of the fun guy in the, you know, when they're in the team room and doing that kind of stuff, he's always kind of got goofy outfits on and doing something that kind of gets everybody's attention and gets them laughing and doing that. But I think from a serious standpoint, he's taken on that role of like, so all the captains, like I'll play with whoever you want me to play with and I'll just go do my thing. And I'll just want to be a good teammate. Yeah. He seems like the utility guy on like mm-hmm. the U S teams. Like there's certain pairings, you know, like for sure. All right. These two dudes are going out mm-hmm. together. These two guys are going out together. Ricky seems like put them with anyone. Is that like the, is that the tone in the locker room? They're like, I want to play with Ricky or oh, this guy says, I want to play with Ricky. Like everyone wants to play with him. Yeah. I feel like he gets along with everybody and his game translates. So I don't think there's anybody that doesn't want to play with him. And he's the same way. He doesn't have anybody that he's like, I don't want to play with him. You know, just put me out there. I just won't play. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of how it's, yeah, that's the way it yeah, looks for like. sure. It's there's no doubt about it. I've seen it up close at the Walker Cup. He's uh, he's the man. I love everything Ricky Fowler does. I want to talk a little bit about some major championships. Obviously, he hasn't been able to cross the finish line quite yet. But let's talk about the Masters. I know that's your favorite week of the year, mm-hmm. Caddian. Is that one of the ma- is that the major you think Ricky has the best chance of 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 winning? Yeah, I think if you look at the history and how well he's played there, and it's the same golf course every year, I think you would have to say that that would be his best shot um, with some of his performances there, how the course fits him, how he puts those greens. And then the other venues, it's so much, you know, venue dependent really at those other majors. So, you know, year to year, there might be some courses that fit him better than others. His golf course can translate anywhere, but there's always going to be golf courses that fit you better, as you know. Um, the British Open, I feel like the conditions there really fit him and his imagination and how well he plays, and he's had some good ones there. But he's also come close in a PGA, and um, there's some U.S. Open venues that are good for him too. So. Does he get more excited for like a Masters versus an Open? Because I look at him, and I like I think the Open Championship is a perfect place for him. It's creative. Mm-hmm. He can move the ball around. He can flight it. He's great on the ground with the putter and all that yeah. stuff. I see that place as a place that I really expect him to play well. Is he more excited or more ambitious, I guess, going into certain majors versus others? I think all the majors are so important to him at this point in his career, you know, putting a stamp on the career and, um, you know, getting that first one and then trying to get multiple ones that, you know, there's always a little bit extra excitement and just kind of readiness to go and and you want to be there. But I would say if you asked him, he gets more fired up about the British Open and the Masters just because of his history there and the style of golf. Has there been one major when you when you look back on it, you're like, damn, we should have, we should have won that one. The Valhalla one was heartbreaking for me. That was like, that was like in caddying. That was the one that I felt like kind of slipped away from us. And then just everything that went down on the last hole and the way it went down, that one was, that one was tough. And then Augusta, he obviously came so close, but you felt like he did everything he could to win it. So it wasn't as hard to take when, when he got done because I mean, he hit the shot on 18. He did everything he needed to do. Even 17, he made a great swing. That ball was two or three yards from flying far enough to have another birdie look. And he was charging. And, you know, Patrick got the job done. So what do you do at that point? When you're in these situations and you know Ricky's nervous, he's trying to win his first major, whether it's a major or a regular event, every player has something that they do that kind of like is a like a 
telltale sign like hey he's getting nervous right now when you see that with ricky is there some a what is he what is it that he's doing that you can tell like hey i need to calm him down a little mm-hmm. and b what do you do do you have like a default thing you talk about or something you do when you're in those situations yeah we had a lot more of that early on when he was a younger player and his tendency was to start moving walking faster going through the numbers faster trying to speed up the process so like we would have times where he we would have a rule the final round he can't pass me when we're walking to the ball like he's got to make sure he's behind me or I'll, I would slow up the cadence of what we were doing or take a little longer to get the number or whatever that might be just to slow him down. He's gotten he's gotten so comfortable and he's been around it so much now. You're always going to get nervous, but he's dealt with it so many times that you don't have to do a whole lot of that with him anymore. He's very good at managing his emotions. He's very good at um, handling situations. And really, like, if you look at the history, like, when he gets to those last four or five and he's in it, like, that's when he puts the hammer down and he goes, you know, and even though he hasn't won one yet, a lot of that's because we were too far back with four or five, six holes to go rather than him blowing a lead or doing something wrong. He, I mean, you look at the Scottish and you look at TPC and you look at some of the finishes he's had and the drives he's hit and the things he's done in the big moments. Um, Augusta, even when he didn't win, you know, the shot he hit into 18 and making the putt, he's handled those moments very well. He better not ever let me caddy for him because if he has to walk behind me, He's going to be crawling. We're going to have a serious We're problem. We're on one fairway. Guys, we need to pick it up. Yeah. But, you know, you say, I mean, his he's unbelievable con- controlling his emotions. But I know one of your favorite wins y'all have had was last year here at the Waste yeah. Management. Yeah. And all hell kind of broke loose yeah. in, in that final round. You had a, I mean, I believe a five-shot lead with eight holes to play. You're on the 11th tee, and then you're on the 13th tee, and you're one back. Yeah. When one of the worst breaks I've ever seen in the history of golf, when yeah. he chips it over the green in the water, takes a drop, rolls back in the water. What did did you have to go to him and be like, hey man, let's we got to refocus here, or was he is he so mature that he you didn't really have to say anything? Yeah, not much. It had been a weird day before yeah. that too. You know, we had a number three was a weird hole and the stuff that went down there, and then we doubled five and all this stuff, and we actually had the talk on the way to ten that hey, there's always going to be these nine. We've always said there's always going to be these nine holes that kind of get away from you a little bit, and you just got to manage it and then get right back on the horse. And he played so good all week. He goes and birdies 10 and then was in the rough there on 11. And we were just playing for short right. Like, don't want to go long there. He didn't want to get something hitting on that green and kicking into the water in the back. And then it had just rained a little bit. That ball was a little bit wet and it didn't check and it skidded. And, you know, everything happened from there. And just walking to 12, we were we were more concerned with finding out from Slugger what we actually made. Mm-hmm. Like, they were trying to figure that out and what was going on with the penalty and everything else. And we just wanted to know what we made and where we were at so we could go from there. And then I just got back into the process and just said, let's just get back into the process. Didn't have to say a whole lot to him. He was pretty calm. And we just, we went and bogeyed the next hole too. And then kind of made a scratchy par from there. And then 14, he had, I don't know, 45, 50 feet for a birdie. And he said, I'm going to make this. And he almost did. And I was like, okay, he's good. And then piped it down 15 and and really brought it in nice. And 18 got a little interesting there for a minute, but um yeah, that was the most, to me, that was the most rewarding one because of everything he had to go through and how bad he wanted to win that golf tournament and how many things had happened to us here in the past. Uh, we'd had some heartbreakers at this event. Take us through that chip shot, by the way, on 18, because I heard he wanted to do something. <laughs> and you kind of talked him out of it a little bit. So he was thinking of possibly bumping it. And I said, why don't we just throw this up there and try to get it 15 feet by the hole? A two sh- two shot we lead. had a two-shot yeah. lead and we had chopped it out to there. 
And my thought was if you try to bump it, there's kind of a slope there. And with it wet, if you've got a weird kick, it can almost kick down into that bunker. <laughs> and I just didn't want to mess with it. And even after I was trying to get him to throw it 15 feet by it, you know, he threw it four feet short of the hole or whatever he does. You know, he's so good with those golf shots and um, hit a really good shot. And then that's funny. You know, how much how much veto power do you have if like, Ricky's like, hey, I want to hit this shot? And you're like, oh, that's not a good idea. Like Bones has talked about, I used to have one veto per year with yeah. Phil. Like, do you have that when you're like, hey, Brick, I know you're really good, dude, but maybe right now we just punch it out and try to save par. Yeah, we don't have a system for that, like a veto per se or whatever, but he's he's very good. He's always been very good with taking my opinion into account, whether he's going to do it or not. He'll sit there and he'll listen. And if he's convinced of something, he's going to do what he wants to do. And like I said, I'm just trying to present the options and then it's up to him from there. But I'll push pretty hard if there's something that I just don't think it's the time and place for it, then I'll push a lot harder than I normally would, uh, depending on the situation. Has there been a situation where you pushed very hard? I mean, he was obviously going against you. You pushed very hard and he went with you and you were either right or you were wrong. I'm trying to think a specific. I'm sure it's happened plenty of times, but off the top of my head, 18, you pushed really hard for him to hit the lesser club. So yeah, we did in the playoff. We did end up going to the 52 instead of the wedge because Mm -hmm. that was the one that was going to get close. And actually, when you go back to the most nervous I've ever been when that ball was in the air, because (laughs) I had talked him off the wedge that, and, and he had to get all of that thing to get it there, but it was the one that was going to get close. And that putt, you hit it 30 feet past that hole. You're just trying to, tickle it down there so it stays on the green so and when that ball was in the air like that was a little bit nerve-wracking that ball in the air and the ball in the air on 16 at there's a good example i was trying to talk him into laying up on 16 16 at the players we were so far in front of those guys we had kind of we had a number that he had to hit a cut three wood in there and so any golfer knows when you're trying to hit a cut three wood like one you can overcut it into that water two you can hit the pull rip send over that green left that's not going to be great. And I was like, man, this is a pretty easy pin to get out with wedge. And so I pushed pretty hard to lay it up. And he said, no, I got this. So I was talking to that ball quite a bit in the air, too. Yeah, that one barely covered, then kicked left. Being right and worked out. You gave him a nice little fist bump after that one. Have you had any big mistakes on the golf course where you did a distance wrong or messed up a close? I like the eight, not the nine, and he airmails it or anything like that? Well, yeah, I mean, the clubs happens that's going to happen right caddy and like you know you're between a seven and an eight and you know you push the eight and it's not enough or you push the seven and it's too much and so that's going to happen but um i have given in my career i've given two bad numbers and they were both at bmw uh one was in 2011 and one was in was last year and um both times he went and got it up and down so that was nice that's what you're hoping for as a caddy do you tell him you messed up yeah i told him both times so, because it was pretty obvious, he thought he'd hit a pretty good shot. One of them airmailed the green, and I walked the wrong way off the head. And then the other one last year, we'd gotten up there and just kind of in a rush, I guess. And I just kind of took a quick look at the head in the fairway there and assumed it was one that it wasn't. And we both were coming from the rough, and this thing like was all over it. We thought he hit a good shot, and it wasn't even close. It was 15 yards short, was, you know, and there's nothing in front of that green, so it was fine. But both kind of looking we're like did it come out that dead and i started looking at the numbers and i and i gave you the wrong number and he's like all right no <laughs> don't and then, and then he went and got it up and down and then gave me a hard time a few times just joking around the rest of the day you know you sure that number's right that kind of thing but he's really good about it and, um so 
yeah, that's those are my two. That's gonna happen. And that we had Stadler on here recently. His dad caddied for him in the car open game, like thirty yards wrong on one hole. After he like questioned it multiple times, like, no, dude, it's right. And then he hit thirty yards over the yeah. green. So as a caddy, you hope that that never happens, and you want that to happen as few times as possible because it's one thing to miss, you know, miss a read or you know be wrong on a club, but it's a whole other thing when you give a bad yardage. You know, that's. What's like Ricky's thing he does when he gets angry? Because like he's had the microscope. This is one of the most impressive things I think. He's had the microscope on him like nobody's had, you know, for the last decade plus. And he mm-hmm. never seems to mess up. He doesn't have any blow ups. I can't think of anything wrong that he's done. But what mm-hmm. do you see him when he's hot under the collar? Like what's he doing? How does he vent? Yeah, he doesn't show it much. You know, he'll talk to me about some stuff or he'll, or he'll say something. But he's he's really good with it. Like he's really good at taking things in stride and he might get frustrated or disappointed, but as far as like getting angry and throwing temper tantrums, it's just not him. You know, um, when we've had our moments out there where we've gotten into it, I can get a little fiery and you know, when you're in competition, you you can both kind of disagree on something and it'll happen. I think, you know, that's what's going to happen in sports over time. But as far as him getting angry, yeah, I can't think of very many moments where he, got that way. I mean, he's always so good about acting the way you should and acting like a gentleman and taking it in stride, no matter how much it hurts inside. Yeah, you know? I can't remember a club slant, like anything, even yeah, minor like no that. Doubt about that. Yeah. But Slays and I are real big on nicknames and you yeah. don't really have one, which no. is very, very disappointing, but all, a lot of caddies do. Yeah. Give me some of your favorite caddy nicknames. Well, Bones and Fluffer. Yeah. Definitely. Legends, you know, the, those are fantastic. Um, Trying to think of other caddy nicknames right now. Bird dog, for, uh, bird Justin dog's good. good. Bird dog's good. Yeah, I like that one. I love last call Lance. Last call Lance I is mean, a fantastic. Nickname. What's Casey's caddy? The, the socks. What do they call him? Johnny, Johnny Long socks. Johnny Long socks. Respect. Yeah. Identity theft. Maybe um, for me. Who knows? <laughs> I feel like he stole that I'm a little bit. Trying to think of some other good ones out there. I mean, there's plenty of nicknames out there. Eight Mile John. <laughs> what's, I, what's that called? I call what him Amazing John. Oh, he's what's Eight Mile? Is he from Detroit? No. What's Eight Mile John? That poor sort of caddy be forever, and everybody just says he grew up on the other side of the tracks in Eight Mile. Because <laughs> oh, okay. he he's been to jail and he's got some tats and all this. It's good to have that behind you, though. You know what I mean? You know if something goes down. But then he'll always tell like he'll always tell Pat Perez. He's like, "Have a blessed day," and so Pat calls him Brother John. Okay, <laughs> have a blessed. There's Wayno Drano. Yeah, Wayno. Yeah, good. Wayno Drano's good. There's some good Wee Man. Wee Man's out Wee there. Wee Man's good. another good one. I think Last Call Lance is my favorite. Last Call Lance. I mean, so caddy. Lance Tenbrook used to play on PJ Tour. Legendary caddy. He's caddy for Jesper Parnovic forever. Been for Ernie Els now lately. Yeah. But he's Last Call Lance because he's at the bar until it's time to go. Respect. Respect. I feel like the caddy, there needs to be like a reality show that just follows the caddies around because they are such a unique breed and so cool. There's so many characters that yeah. people don't get to see on TV because they sure. don't ever get the mic in front of them. I nicknamed Julian Trudeau Zion because he worked one week for me and then quit. One and done. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Said, yeah, uh, one and done. Uh, yeah, I like I had, that I had one. a lot of people calling him that. I'm having to put too like many head one. covers back Andy on. Sanders, a lot of – I didn't – I've been friends with Sanders for so long and, like, called him Colonel and all these different things, and I didn't realize that they called him Dirt in college. Yeah. It's like, so that's a great nickname too, Dirt. Mm-hmm. That's good. So That boy could roll his rock back yeah, in the day. Man, I've known Andy for a long time. And talking about how these guys need mics on. You guys were recently a couple of the first to volunteer to be mm-hmm. mic'd up when they're coming back, right? They did it for the charity match and it, everyone loved it. So you guys were one of the first. What, how, like, did you guys talk about doing that? And how different is it? Are you aware that that's on when you're out there and you guys changing the way you talk? Yeah, the mic's a little different in between shots. So you're definitely conscious of the conversations you're having with other guys. And we happen to be in a pairing that's a really comfortable pairing. 
So I kind of watched what I said, what I would normally say to Mike Greller or Justin Thomas or Jimmy Johnson or Jordan Spieth. So it changed the conversations a little bit. I will say that. Um, I don't know how everybody feels about it. Like for me, I think that the conversations between the caddy and the player before the shot is kind of what people want to hear rather than what we're talking about in between shots. Um, so I think that that just provides value to the broadcast because you don't always know what the process is and what you're thinking about why they're hitting the shot. When you get to hear that, I think it provides a lot of value. For Was that authentic when you and Ricky were doing it? Were you like changing it up a little bit? Like, Hey, I know I'm mic'd up. I'm going to say, no, it we didn't change way. a thing when we talked about shots. Cause you didn't know what they were showing, what they weren't. And we have boom mics with us with he's in featured groups so often every time he's got boom mics all the time. So you never know when they're on or off. So you just go through it and do your thing and you don't really worry about it. But I was definitely conscious of it in between shots. Yeah. I heard you fart one time. <laughs> uh, that boom mic doesn't catch that you gotta look well, out i know two of your best friends out there catting wise are sammy penner yeah. maddie kelly yeah caddies for cameron smith mark leishman yeah. say say you get paired with one of your buddies because yeah. i've seen some other caddies do this do you and your buddies ever have any little side action in the group we've never had side action really yeah wow. we've never had it my boy always would bet but it was probably against me more, okay. more, than, more than four yeah, we've never had side action <laughs> we've always kind of just i mean it, every week it's like if we're not going to win i want one of them to win mm -hmm. you know so we maddie and i actually had one week um a few years ago at bmw where leash won and ricky finished second so that was a pretty cool day and it was a good sunday night so because so. so, y'all y'all room together and stuff a lot. yes so say one of you wins does that yeah. person pick up the tab you that pick week? up the tab for the week if you win that's kind of the the rule with most of them that you that's pick fair. up the tab for the house if it's a house then you get stung a little bit more if it's hotel room is it just a win or is it a high just finish? a win see that's us. the difference when you caddy for ricky fowler versus me like davenport and his guys if colt if, made the cut if they had a top paying. 10 it yeah. was they paid for it a lot of times top 10's a dinner yeah you pay for a dinner and Sizzler. do it that way Sizzler. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah who are the guys that if you guys if you see the t-sheet and you know you get paired with certain guys are there guys ricky loves to be paired with and that you think he plays better with i think he ricky likes everyone so and it gets he along so with likeable. everyone. So I don't think there's really a bad pairing for him. But yeah, if he gets Justin or Jordan or one of his buddies, Duff, he's going to get more excited about it, right? And um, so, so yeah, there's. I would say those guys. Um, you know, for me, like sometimes the player influences it because you're like, okay, we can have some good conversations and this will be good. As far as like playing better with somebody. I mean, I know Sergio played really well with us for a long time, so he wanted to see Ricky mm, as his pairing. If you looked at his Why scoring average, you, I don't know, for he whatever reason, Rick his scoring what? average, they get along really well, and his scoring average with Ricky for a while, man, and then he won he won that Ryder Cup match against us to become the all-time leading point getter last year, right? So Bastard. that was against Rick as well. So he's had really good history playing with Rick um, as far as that goes. They're oh. doing these, like, I'm sorry, go okay. ahead. I was going to say, they're doing like these super pairings, it feels like right now, where, mm -hmm. the, you know, now we're out of break. It's like the same kind of three, like Justin Thomas and Tiger get paired mm -hmm. together a lot, right? They're all these like super pairings. Is it annoying at all from like Rick's perspective? Like, all right, dude, I'm going to be with Justin Thomas and this guy again. Like, I get paired with these guys every tournament now. No, I think I feel like he, they didn't he used likes to do it. That. Yeah, he likes it. He likes those featured groups. Last week was the first time in a while we haven't been in a featured group. Um, but yeah, he, he likes those and, you know, he likes the spotlight on and he likes everything that goes with it. So I think it's good. Well, talk to us about playing with, with Tiger. Obviously you've been around with him quite a bit. Is he full blinders on 100% focus or is he chatted all with you guys while you're out there? So early on we played with him 
we got to play with him when he was in the middle of winning eight times in 12 and 13. And that was the first time I'd really been around him out there. And he beat us at, at Muirfield when he hold that shot behind the green on 16. Um, I think we were in the third to last group and he ended up winning the golf tournament. And then Ricky went at it with him at Bay Hill uh, in 13. And at that time, yeah, he's pretty into it and he was pretty focused and you kind of were almost nervous to talk to him because you just wanted him to start the conversation. You know, he's Tiger Woods and he'll talk to me if he wants to talk to me. And if not, and especially as a caddy, I don't, unless I'm really comfortable with somebody, I'm not going to go start conversations because some players will want to be quiet. Some, some of them want to talk to you. So I'll let them talk to me. I'll talk to their caddies or whatever, but I kind of leave that up to the player on whether they're going to chat with me or not. I don't want to put them in an uncomfortable situation or, you know, them be like, why is this guy talking to me so much or whatever. Um, so I'll let them start it. But as time's gone on, I would say, especially on Thursdays and Fridays, Tiger chats a lot more, jokes around a lot more, a um, lot more open. And as we've gotten to know him better, I think, you know, that goes on as well. So when he was on that, when he hold that flop shot on the back of 16 at Muirfield, I don't know if you've seen the clip, but like your face, when he hold it, you were like a kid in a candy, like you were like smiling and I know yeah. you're Ricky's guy and obviously, but is it hard to not just become a fan at that point? Like you, you're a golfer first and foremost, you grew up yeah. watching this guy win everything. Is it hard to not be like, Oh my God, like caught up in the moment and just be a, a, a well, fan th at that point. The thing that was different about that moment was that at that point we had had such a bad day that we were out of the golf tournament. So therefore you got to enjoy watching the greatest do his thing and trying to learn from it and see what he does and what goes on. And like, I remember just laughing because the golf shot looked so good when he hit it, but like no one holds that shot, you know? And like for that thing to take that last roll, go in and it's just like, and the place was going nuts and Sabo was back there. I think Sabo was leading or one back at that point. And you know, the message is getting sent back to him on 15. It was just vintage tiger, everything you've watched on TV and now you were a part of it. So, um, yeah, you definitely started paying attention to that a little bit more. If we had been one or two back, then no, you wouldn't pay attention to it as much. Andy might have yelled something really loud that not a lot of people know about, but we'll, we'll leave that for another day. That's why Tiger doesn't volunteer to get mic'd up. Exactly. All right, we, time for Emergency 9, or you got yeah. anything else? Yeah, let's fire it. All right, we do this with every guest. Joseph, Emergency 9, nine fun questions, just to learn a little bit of... Don't overthink you. it, dude. We right. do this one with everyone. There's a movie about the life of Joe Scovran. You can pick any actor. Dead or alive. <laughs> Who plays you? I'm going to let you guys pick. No, no you, dude, this, this is, is not the game. Not this is our show. Actor. You have to act. Oh, man. And I couldn't think of anybody. but You're I so modest, but yeah. go ahead and do yourself some justice here. Oh, man. I said John Stamos. Oh, oh wow. a little older. A little older. A little older. Wow. Maybe a little more Well, flow. Joe's not that young. Yeah. No, I'm you're not, not really young, young at all, I'm dude. Really young. I mean, you're not a child. 39 years old. Are you 39? 39, I'll be wow, making the turn. Soon. Making the turn. Yeah, three well, all right, plus well, three. Before we end this, you have to, yeah, you gotta answer. You have to give an answer. One. Yeah. And you can't be like, oh yeah, I agree with you. Man, forget it. Let's just go Brad Pitt, man. There you go. Let's okay. Joe. Wow. And Troy yeah. or Fight Club? Fight Club. <laughs> Fight Club. Yeah, skinny guy. All right. all right, number two. All right, here we go. I know you've seen this movie because you were a star high school quarterback. Varsity Blues, movie Varsity Blues. Do you feel like you relate more to Lance Harbor or Johnny Moxon? Ooh. And have you ever seen a whipped cream bikini? <laughs> <laughs> Very um, good question. Johnny Moxon. Mo uh, mm. All right, reserved going to Brown or Dark. Yeah, where was he going? Brown in that movie? Yeah, Moxon. Yeah. Moxon. He puts his pants on one leg at a time. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. All right. Number three. Say Ricky Fowler retires or he's not in the picture. You can caddy for anyone else. 
Oh, I can't. Ooh, this is a this sticky question. one. I can't answer. This. Come on, sticky. Ricky's not around. I'm Ricky your dream bag. Minus Ricky. Ricky is my Ricky's dream bag. Ricky's your dream there you bag. Go. Perfect. Oh, Ricky retires from golf. Man. All right. First, no answer to a question. Is that our first in A? Tragic. Okay. Well, let you tragic. think on that too. We're gonna give you. We'll send these to you next time before we do these. All right. Can I say go. Colt? Colt. Senior tour. Colorado I'll go, Open. I'll go, I'll go caddy the Colorado Open. Make a little right. side change yeah. this week. Hunter grad, 10%, 10 Gs. Hey, I've heard of worse weeks. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Next question. If you were to audition for the Golf Boys music group, what yeah. song would you sing for your audition tape? Ooh, that's a good one. Something um, you can dance to for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like um, he likes the move. I've mm-hmm. seen it. Bye, 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 and sync. Okay. Wow. I feel like that's very on brand for the Golf Boys. <laughs> that's great. All right, you know that by heart? You want to give us a little piece? I know enough of okay. Side question. Is there a better PGA Tour caddy dancer than Joe Scovern? John Lamonti. Oh, John the Bod. That's the guy you said. I know. Don't you jump have a the big gun. Crush on Just him. leave this alone for was, right now. Okay, Move sorry. On. We'll go back. Okay. He may or may not be referenced shortly. All right. Next question. <laughs> what, is the, what is one thing you don't do because you know it'll drive Ricky crazy? Hmm. Is, does Ricky have like a little pet peeve? It's a good question. Um, there's got to be something that Rick's very particular about how I mix his protein drinks mm. or how I mix his his. Um, I guess they'd be like uh, hydration drinks. Mm-hmm. So he's very particular about like how I unpackage it and how I do it. And, how you know, he watches? How can you mess? So, how can you mess that yeah, up? So well, what, you know, what's, I what's can he mess up anything about? at times. You know, if I get a little bit on the edges or something, you know, he's he's very good about you know, and I just kind of rip it open and I'm kind of getting going and like I make sure it's done. But yeah, I would say he probably probably that's probably what he'd get the most frustrated with. Me he's about. not like da points and has you sign a contract with all the things you can't do. No, can't shoot gum. Uh, he's pretty points. really yeah he's pretty, pretty that good about it. that yeah, yeah. That ricky's, ricky's a little more laid back yeah, yeah he's just make back. my he's pretty laid back make my hydration drink perfect you clown all right here we go <laughs> you clown getting into the the aforementioned john lamonti how deep is your rivalry with adam scott's caddy john lamonti for best looking <laughs> caddy on the pga tour do you feel like you used to have a stranglehold on it and now it's been taken from you no, what's funny about that is my nickname for him is always number one. It's been number one. I call him number one. You call him, and then he jokingly calls me number two. But is that based on so looks? Based on his looks, that he's number one. He's tough. He's a, he's a tough yeah. bastard to get ahead of. I'll never forget when he because he didn't know who he was until he started caddying for Adam Scott. I didn't you know, know his name. He yeah. texted me one day. He's like, uh, "This Joe Scovern has got a problem. He caddies <laughs> for Adam Scott now." <laughs> we were at Riviera watching. We were yeah. out at the tournament for the radio, and I was watching. I was like, "Dude, this this kid's caddy, dude. Like, it's a <laughs> yeah. joke. Yeah. Scott's got no chance, and that's no not chance. even a knock." Please had Scott. such a big man crush on Adam Between him and Adam Scott, are you joking me? No, it's not even tough. All right, number seven. The Players' Championship, mm-hmm. obviously very, very close to you. Y'all's biggest win so far. But every Wednesday, they do a little close to the pin for the caddies. I want to know Joe Scovern's best shot and worst shot. So I've hit some ugly ones. I think I've hit the shot eight times. I've hit it on the green four times, and I've okay. missed the other four. Um, I think I hit an ugly one, like kind of short right over there by the bunker over there in the water one year, and I haven't really hit a very good shot there. Like I think the closest I've hit it's like thirty feet. Well, that's definitely not the worst though. I mean, yeah. I've seen uh, Sag hit it left of the water. I've seen two shots that I le- I legitimately fell down laughing when Shane Knight <laughs> hit it one year, and 
we kept the photo and Shay actually just texted me and said that uh, he's working for Victor Hovland now. And he texted me and said he got it framed. And it's all of us like basically falling over laughing because his divot went further than the ball. The ball oh, barely got great. to the... Do you get any warm-up lead? No, like, no. You know it's coming. Nothing. Some you guys get, like, do it. I think it's cheating. I think it's cheating when you're dropping a ball and you're hitting shots or you That's hit it on fair. Tuesday or whatever. Like you're supposed to just show up there, make one swing and see what you got. Yeah. I, I saw agree. Boyd hum- Summerhays drop one it's... and hit it to like two feet. First off, like, Boyd Summerhays is so good town. it's ridiculous. He's not a caddy. It's a per- I know, but it was a joke. Just dropped a ball, all black, everything, like a hoodie. Dude, he'll he'll drop one on a driver on track, man, and swing at 119 with 178 ball speed. And I'm like, you haven't hit a ball all day. Yeah. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's just in the DNA. You got the yeah. Summer Hayes last name. All right, next You're question. You're going to be good to go. All right, next question. Who the hell is the scumbag actor that plays you in the Grant Thornton commercial, and why weren't you offered that role? <laughs> I hate that fucking guy. <laughs> that's a good question. He shows up, and he's like telling Rick all this shit. I was like, uh, that's that's identity theft, dude. Yeah, I don't know. Why were you not Were you not ever? All right, yeah. so Ricky gets this commercial. He's hitting yeah. a shot, and the guy comes in and says all this I don't know. I'm, hopefully the reason was because they were kind of making fun of the caddy and they didn't want to do that to me. And I kind of appreciate it. It wasn't because of your acting know. chops. Or after your yeah. Bushnell performance, they just couldn't afford you. Yeah, you did. Shut or it they down. just realized how bad I was. Oh, More, you did. You know. shut it. See, I, I was hate trying that to be guy. Nice. Have you ever met that guy? What's that? Do you know who that guy is? I don't. Is Rick friends with him? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you should look into that, dude. <laughs> He's a threat. I'm looking out for you. Yeah, I, He can be eliminated. Just say the word. All right. Last question. And this is a tough one. Okay. Who's got the better chance of getting in the Hall of Fame? Philip Rivers or Ricky Fowler? At this point, you would have to say Rivers because Rivers is, you know, we've got a lot more wins to go. So hopefully we get there. But I think Rivers is, I mean, he might not be a lock, but I think he's pretty you close. Feel like you feel like he's a lock. Philip Rivers is a lock for the I NFL think he's pretty Hall close if you go look at the stats. You go look at the stats. And he's so won more playoff games than people think. Who gets in first, Philip Rivers, Eli Manning? Well, Eli's going to get in most likely first because of the two Super Bowls. But if you put their stats up against each other, Philip blows them away. Wow. Nobody loves Philip Rivers more than this man right here. Except for his 14 kids. Thought about wearing the Philip Rivers jersey. You should have. That would have been fantastic. Collector's item. I would love a little baby blue one. Is that what what they call that? Yeah, powder blue. I got a Colts Colts one on the way, too. Do you? Oh, sneaky Colts fan this year. They could be be dangerous. Now you got two teams. Nice. All right. Well, Joe. That was a blast. Really appreciate it, man. You're the best. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you it. it. Sleaze, I absolutely loved sitting down with Joe. It's so cool to get the caddy's perspective on, on their player and also other players on the PGA Tour. Yeah, he's fun to talk to. One of the nicest guys on the PGA Tour. I think he and Ricky's relationship is a rare one. You see so much caddy turnover. Guys, like, have a bad run, get rid of their caddy, you know, switching back and forth, trying different things. I think he and Ricky are going to be, like, the – Modern day, like Bones and Phil, maybe Grell or Spieth have a huge run out there because that I feel like those two guys, A, they're both so easy to get along with and they just they they work well together. They do. And it's I mean, I think it's just a matter of time before they knock off a big one. Yeah. Um it, it'll be huge for obviously Ricky and Joe, but also for the game of golf. I think if Ricky Fowler could win a major championship. I mean, everybody loves him. He's he's got people dressing like him in the gallery. He along with like the way Tony Finau right now is dealing with the hey, when are you gonna win again win a you know, a regular field PJ tour event? That's what Ricky's been dealing with on the major side for a long time. You gotta know like they want that off their back so bad. I by the way, how did I did and you didn't know either. Is it like a good call a good high school quarterback growing up? I had no clue. Would have never guessed it from game manager from Big Joey. Yeah, game, game manager. manager. Yeah, exactly. Making the making the I smart was, play. I was very surprised he openly admitted to your caddy crush, John Lamonti, being a better dancer than him. Because Joe prides himself on his dancing, I must say. Yeah, he can get after a little bit. He's just kind of bending the knee to uh, Lamonti right now, and all at in, in all aspects. 
there's a new there's a new sheriff in town and the caddies on the it PGA is. tour. But thanks to Joe for sitting down with us. It was a lot of fun. And we got to do more caddies. They're, they have great yeah, they stories. Have great they, stories. They can tell the truth out. There. I mean, they can really, really, really get. If you really cool want to know what's going yeah. on out there, the caddies will give it to you a hundred times more than the players. I love it. All right. Well, let's get to this week's gambling picks. Yeah. And I think producer Mark, I made up some more ground last week. This thing's getting snug. Where things, are we at? Things are getting snug, boys. Uh, first of all, congrats to Colt, Tony Finau, Max Homa. Two mm. two very interesting stories Forgot over the Max. weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, top threes each. Oof. Brought home a quarter million each for you. Okay. Um, you also had Brian Harmon uh, make the cut after you replaced Carlos Ortiz. Carlito. Very yeah, you disappointing. Got a, you got a bunch of guys By the bailing way, off your ship. I found out his, his wife got coronavirus. I, I can... Give him a pass on. Re- yeah, that's fair. Yeah. You do have a lot of guys. I talked to him. I told him he was my pick and he was ruining my shit. You had a lot of scratches from mm-hmm. the card late. Uh, Drew, you taking the gamble on DJ. Yeah. Did Jesus. not work out very well. I love that you said at the start, you're like, this is going to be a great pick or the stupidest fucking pick I've ever had. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, of course, he WDs after one round. You couldn't have just taken a knee before the event. Let me mm. sl- Although I would say if I had, if he had WD, I was going to take Fleetwood second and he, he missed cut as well. So. It was a wash. Yeah. All right, well, you did have Harris English finish T18 and Henrik Norlander finish T23 to help keep a little bit of a gap there, which is now down to a lead of $181,000. Mm, I love this. this Here we go. This is where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> Coming now into we're a playing. massive Couple week as well. Big the swings. WGC yeah. St. Jude Invitational Uh this is a big purse, Lee. There can be a lot of action here. Yeah, this is, and with the field that's in there, there's a lot of options. Like there's 45 some guys, of the top 50 in the world. And there's some guys going off in the 50 plus to one category mm-hmm. that are normally like close to the top tier. So it's wide open here. You got the honor, my man. So I do. go ahead and make that pick. I'm going to go with the 54 hole leader from last year's tournament. Guy who struggled a little bit on Sunday playing in the final group with Brooks Kepka. He's 11 to one. In my opinion, he's the best driver of the golf ball on the planet. And you need to do that around TPC Southwind, Rory McIlroy is the number one pick in this week's draft. All right. Going out on a limb, taking Rory. I respect it. I'm going to go a little bit further down. There's a lot of good players in Mm -hmm. this top tier right now. I'm going with the guy that I've been whiffing in my top tier lately. I've gone 0 for 2 in terms of making cuts with my top tier. Bryson, DJ, can't do that. I'm going back to the guy that I think is probably the most steady, consistent guy on the PGA Tour. It was between two guys, and I feel like they're almost the same guys. Between Xander and Patrick Cantlay, I'm going with Patrick Cantlay. Four top 20s in the last five. Eighth in strokes gained tee to green. Never seems to have a bad week. Built for big golf courses. Let's go. Patrick Cantlay. All right. Who you got number two? Number two, I'm coming in with a guy that was would have been my sub last week. Also missed the cut. Knocked a little bit of the competitive rust off. Tommy Fleetwood at 31. Uh, I'm sorry, 30 to 1. I blame that on not having played in a while, but he's like 23rd in strokes gained tee to green. He's only got 12 rounds under his belt, but he uh, fourth place finish here last year. Drives it. Nice. Does everything nice. And I, I like that pick. He did probably knock knock some rust off last week. All right, my guy. Two of his three PJ Tour victories have come around TPC yep. Southwind. He was not in the field here last year as he was dealing with some injuries. Um, this golf course suits him perfectly. He already won a few weeks ago at Colonial. 28 to 1, Daniel Berger. Took all my restraint. Yeah, to I kind of thought that's where him. you were going to go. I was going to go with that. It almost felt like too obvious. It'll probably turn around to bite me. And in to the be ass. fair, if you picked Berger, I had Fleetwood written above. Too. All right, so we're on the same page. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. All right. All right. The third overall pick, you're going to hate this because he's one of your guys. Fuck. Number 22 in the world, 15th in the FedEx, 14th in strokes gained total. The kid does it all. And honestly, the biggest whiff on career predictions I've ever done in my life mm-hmm. 55 to 1, Abraham Answer. Who's this guy right here? Top of the list. Abe, you can take off him. The board. No, I don't want him. I don't, I don't like to have overlap on the teams. I think that's a, that's a very astute pick from you. 
I'm going with a guy that I'm very high on. You're very high on him as well. Also seems to do everything good, especially T to green. He's going off 60 to one. He hasn't played a lot and hasn't played well since he's come back. But Mark, Mark Leishman, mm, best finish since the restart is 40th at Muirfield. Not hasn't been great, but I mean, hits it too good up until a couple weeks ago. He's number one strokes gained T to green. Now he's like, you just think he's due for a good week. Yeah, he's got, I mean, his game's built. He drives it great, drives it straight. And you uh, got to hit your golf ball around TPC. Yeah, this Southwind. ain't like it's, a oh, I chip and putt it good type mm-hmm. of place. This place is awesome. It's one of the most. It's in my opinion, it's the most underrated golf course on the PGA. Everyone Tour. on tour seems to say like TPC Southwind, one of my awesome. favorite places. Nobody seems to talk about it in terms nope. of the best places. All right, the final pick on Team Big Gravy, mm-hmm. Colt Nost, another one of your guys actually. You stealing back? No, I don't think you're taking him this week. Okay, but who? It's a guy that you just love, and he's never done anything for you. I That's know. Why exactly. I know he's going to do it for me this week. 19th in strokes gain total, three top tens this year. Adam Hadwin. Come on with it. Do you notice a trend oh, here? Oh, Canada. My, guy, my guys, next week you're going to have Corey Connors in there. <laughs> no, along I ain't same Corey lines. You got Hadwin. My guy that's mm-hmm. my staple, always my sleeper. Never gets any respect. Just hits it perfect, puts it great everywhere. Can't knock that pick. He'll be back on Team Sleeves soon where he belongs. The second pick here, dude. I scoured for this. There's so many options in this bottom tier, and there's a lot of good guys. I eventually settled on this, and this could be another one of those stupid ones that I do, but I, I think so. the upside is very high here. Guy that's super streaky, been playing really well of late, Matthew Wolf. He's going off at 80-1. to 1. So his last four events, he's got a second, a 22nd, and a 12th. Three of his last four. So he's playing well. He's streaky. He's not Mr. Consistent, but his good golf is very good. He had a top 25 here last year in his only start out here. With this being no cut, I like him more. I don't have to sweat out the no cut. And if he gets hot one day, I think he can really light it up. I'm going Matthew Wolf. It's a little off the grid. There are some safer options here, but I'm going for You're the really upside. defending this pick. It's not I'm going for me. the upside. <laughs> All right. Well, to recap, I've got Rory McIlroy, Daniel Berger, Abe Anser, Adam Hadwin. Beautiful. Team Sleaze, Patrick Cantlay, Tommy Fleetwood, Mark Leishman, Matthew Wolf. Let's go, boys. Bringing home the goods. All right. Well, that does it for us. Next week, another special guest, Mr. Aaron Oberholzer, will be in studio. Have a great week. We'll talk to you then.